Well, good afternoon, Calvary. Good evening. Welcome. And I got to say this every week. Welcome to everybody on live stream. You are part of our church. We're looking for the day that you come back. And guys, I, I've been reading this and I didn't believe it, but now I've been walking around. There are people here that are telling us, you know, we started to watch you on live stream and now we've come here. Uh, one lady was telling me that she was watching live stream and realized that her church attendance wasn't what it should be and she needs to be around people. How cool is that? So uh, praise God we're here and we have all these different avenues to gather and uh, how many of you like Saturday night? Yeah, it's pretty cool, isn't it? Hey, the pool is open and for those of you who are visiting and don't know why or what's going on, uh, this is not an exaggeration. This is not evangelistic, right? This is true. Thousands have entered this pool and have been baptized. We've been doing church outside for almost 20 years. We've seen so many baptisms, so many stories, so many testimonies. And think about it, our last baptism was in September, so it's been a long, long time. And we know God's always doing stuff. So uh, I'm not sure how many people are prepared tonight, but this is a big step, a lot about what I'll talk about today. Uh, the waters of baptism, a new creation. Listen, no one is born a Christian. Do you realize that? You are born again of the Spirit of God, and the baptism is a symbol of that. So uh, all summer we'll be here, we'll do baptisms uh, every single night. If you really want to plan it out, and we'd love to hear your testimonies. A lot of people write them out. And uh, we'll prepare you, and then you can bring family and friends and all that. At the kiosk there, Lisa Mars, Pastor John Clifford will be there. Take your name down. You can email us. I think there's a landing page on the website. Or if the Spirit moves you, even tonight, uh, you can be baptized. So let's open our Bibles to John chapter 19. We are in a series called Encountering Jesus. And tonight we're going to encounter a man who is fascinating any way you look at it. His name is Pontius Pilate. Before I introduce you to Pilate, before I read you the text, can I tell you guys a story? So I was in Barnes and Noble, and I think some of you have had this experience. I was in Barnes and Noble, and I'm sitting there, and I, think, I thought to myself, I've read every book I've ever wanted to read. I've purchased every book I've ever wanted to buy. And so I started to walk around, right? I'm looking at like tabletop books of naval intelligence. I'm looking at cooking books, travel books. I don't know what to do with myself. And then I stumbled on a book called The 100 Worst Decisions Ever Made. Got a cup of coffee and for an hour I just enjoyed this book. First of all, they were intuitive enough to list the number one worst decision of all time was Eve eating of the forbidden fruit. Pretty bad decision, right? Yeah. Okay. And then they got to some contemporary ones most of us know. Like the McDonald brothers sold their business to Ray Kroc. If you saw the movie The Founder, they sold it for a certain sum of money. However, they got hoodwinked a little and they lost $100 million a year into perpetuity. Pretty bad decision. How about the two teams that passed on Michael Jordan? You think that changed the trajectory of their franchises? How about the 12 publishers? that wouldn't sign J.K. Rowling to the Harry Potter series, which, oh, by the way, sold a billion books, and the rest is history. But one of the worst decisions of all time I never knew about was made by Mao Zedong. In 1958, 
he launched in China a campaign that lasted four years called the Four Pests Campaign. He wanted to exterminate rats, flies, mosquitoes, and sparrows. What he didn't realize was that sparrows ate a large number of insects. Without sparrows to eat them, locust populations grew and created an ecological imbalance that exacerbated what is now called the Great Chinese Famine, which, oh, by the way, killed between 15 million and 30 million people. When Chairman Mao ordered the extermination of sparrows, he accidentally sentenced 15 to 30 million citizens to death, all because he didn't realize that sparrows were mission critical for pest control. He didn't realize God created a perfect order. Pretty bad decision. Which brings us to a man tonight that may have made the worst decision in all of history. His name is Pontius Pilate. You all know who he is. You all shouldn't know who he is. The only reason we know about Pontius Pilate is because he's aligned with Jesus. The only reason we know so many people in history for 2,000 years is they're aligned with Jesus. Without the Christmas story, you wouldn't know Mary, Joseph, Herod, not even probably Caesar Augustus. But this is a man for 2,000 years who was on the lips of almost everyone, at least in the Western world. Uh, last summer, I had a sabbatical for two months. And I think I share with you all when I got back that one of the things that um, I really enjoy delving into, Albert Muller wrote a book called The Apostles' Creed. And uh, I was never a creed type of guy, but uh, I like Albert Muller, and I began looking at the Apostles' Creed, and I was overwhelmed by its brilliance. 108 words. I think there's only 15 lines to it. Most of us said it before we even knew God, right? We said it on Sunday mornings, maybe. And what I was fascinated to find is there's only three human beings in the Apostles' Creed. Jesus Christ, our Lord, yes, Jesus was human. He was all, all of man, all of God. Mary, born of a virgin Mary. Think of the brilliance of that line. That line spans the whole Old Testament from Genesis 3 where the prophecy that, that the seed of a woman would conquer the seed of Satan all the way through Isaiah that a virgin would conceive, the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, and then all the way to the, to the incarnation, to Christmas morning. And then the third and final human being, Jesus was crucified under who? Pontius Pilate, one of three people to make it into the Apostles' Creed. He's mentioned in all four Gospels, we hear more from him than a lot of people were familiar with. Almost all the Apostles, we hear more from Pontius Pilate than so many of those other people. So let me give you a reset real quick. It's Thursday night. Jesus has had his last supper. He's instituted Holy Communion that they would do in remembrance of him. They would take the bread and the cup. They walk to Gethsemane. They pray. Judas comes with a cohort of Roman soldiers. We don't know if it's 660 or 600, but they have lanterns and torches and weapons, and they arrest Jesus. The four Gospels put together the trials that took place illegally that night. First, in front of Annas, the high priest, then Caiaphas, the high priest. You're probably wondering, why are there two high priests? Because Rome needed a high priest in their pocket, so they had theirs and then the other high priest. So it was Annas to Caiaphas, Caiaphas back to Annas. And then finally in the morning, we come to our text where Jesus is brought before Pilate. 
Let me read a few verses to you. Um, Let's look at chapter 18, verse 28. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium. And it was early morning, but they themselves, these are the Jews, did not go in, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death, that they, saying of Jesus, might be fulfilled, the saying which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus, and he said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this information? Pilate said, and I think he was angry, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate said to him, Are you a king? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Listen to this. And everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, and then this is mockingly, Veritas, Latin, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews, and he said to him, I I find no fault in him at all. Now, you have to understand what's going on here. Pilate has no interest in what's going on. Does everybody realize that? The guy has a lousy job. He's full of ambition. His only ambition is to be a senator in Rome. Why? Because that's where all the power was. That's where all the glory was. That's where the comfortable life was. He marries the emperor's sister's daughter. He marries up because that's how you become a senator back then. And they put him in a backwater outpost called Judea, which no one wanted to have jurisdiction over. The only reason he's there is to tax the Jews and to keep grain flowing from Egypt back to Rome. And he has to deal with another matter, the fact that these people, the only people in the Greco-Roman world, worship one God. And not only do they worship one God, they actually believe in this God, and they actually have a book, and they have commandments and laws. So he, has, he wants nothing to do with these people. He resides in an area called Caesarea by the Sea. When we go to Israel, it's our first stop. It was built by Herod. It was built for Romans. Whenever Romans traveled the world, they built cities that looked just like Rome. It had baths and theaters. It was by the sea. It was beautiful. But it's Passover, so he's at the Antonio Fortress in Jerusalem. He's there because the Jews during Passover were feeling good about themselves. They remember being released from Egypt, so they were looking forward to being released from Rome. So he's dealing with this matter. He has no interest in Jews. And by the way, the Jews don't like him. He's not benevolent towards them. Again, they're under occupied territory. He taxes them. He does things that drive them crazy. He puts up emblems and standards. Uh, He taxed them to build an aqueduct that would take water from Jerusalem down to Caesarea. And then there's the matter of statues. And this drove the Jews crazy. Remember in the commandments, they should have no likeness of a man. 
But the Greco-Roman world was filled with statues. You ever wonder why? I don't think you were wondering why on a Saturday night, but I'll tell you. When you go to museums, you see all these statues. The the heads are cut off, right? Do you ever wonder why? Because it's hard to steal a statue, so you just cut the head off and you steal the head, right? But the reason there were statues is the idea was Rome is all-powerful. It stretches for thousands of miles. But here is a statue of the man. He is the emblem of this empire. The vast empire he built, this is what he's left behind. N.T. Wright does a masterful job with this. He said, God is unlike these emperors. When God created the heavens and all that we see, God didn't leave behind a statue. He didn't even leave behind anything in nature. Yes, the heavens declare the glory of God. The earth is his handiwork. You go to the Grand Canyon and it speaks of God, but that's not even what God left us to worship. You know what statue God left? This is brilliant. He left you and me. God said, if there's one thing that bears my image, it's human beings. I value them above everything else. They're the ones that are going to be fruitful, multiply, and they're going to fill the earth. And so here's Pilate. He's indifferent. He really doesn't care anything about this Jewish situation. And Jesus goes on trial. God is on trial of the human race. Now, here's what's important to understand. Everything about this trial is illegal. Jesus getting arrested at night is illegal. Jesus getting arrested on the testimony of Judas is illegal. The Jewish trial is illegal, and so is the Roman trial. Why is this important? Years ago, I heard Dr. James Boyce say this. I used to sneak down on Sunday nights as he would preach through the Bible. And when he was preaching through the trial of Jesus, he he said this, and I never forgot it. He said, Jesus wasn't condemned under a primitive, barbaric, or inadequate justice system. He was tried under the best. He was tried under the best. What do we know about the Jews? What are they most prideful about? The law, the Ten Commandments, which, by the way, are still in courtrooms and it's still in the halls of the Senate. What are the Romans known for? They gave us the rule of law. And this whole thing is to set, shown and given to us to set up that it was under the most orderly, lawful set of circumstances where Jesus would face an illegal and unjust trial. And I've said this for years. The scriptures bring out Jesus, the just, dying for the unjust the godly dying for the ungodly. No one's lower than Jesus. Born in the occupied territory, flees into Egypt as a refugee, poor by his own admission, poor by his own choice, powerless by his own choice, despised and rejected by men. No one can identify with Jesus. If you've ever been treated unjustly, you can identify with Jesus. Everybody identifies with Jesus. Everything about the trial this night was illegal. And so the trial begins. And the first question that is asked, are you the king of the Jews? Again, this is a lousy job. I got to deal with it. Are you the king of the Jews? Anybody ever marvel at Jesus' answer? Think about this. We witness, right? We get to see people all the time, and we're told to be generous and loving, love them into the kingdom, and We take evangelism classes. Now we have Jesus witnessing for Jesus. Face to face with Pilate. 
the power and might of Rome. And you know what he says? Um, are you asking this question because you're sincere or did somebody put you up to this? Now, I got to tell you, that sounds snooty to me, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds sarcastic. I think if I said this, I'd get killed, right? You got to love people. You got. Jesus says, are you saying this or did somebody put you up to it? You know why Jesus answered this way? Because Pilate was asking him a political question, not a spiritual question. This isn't Nicodemus who said, man, you must have come from God because the things you're doing, God must be with you. There wasn't a sincere, spiritual, curious bone in Pilate's body. This was purely political, guys. Are you the king of the Jews? Are you a king? That's all he cared about. What he wanted to know was, are you leading a political movement? Are you leading people? Do you have an agenda? Because this is what politics is about. Jesus said, no, that's not what I'm about. Then he goes on to say, I am a king. I'm not a king, but I am a king. I'm not a king the way you think I'm a king. I'm not political. I'm not leading a movement. There's nothing in this that has an agenda. But I want to tell you, I am a king. But my kingdom's not of this world. And listen, guys, here's the key word. If it were, my followers would fight. See, king and kingdom and fight all go together. Remember when Peter pulled out a sword and he was going to chop the guy's head off and he missed and he cut off the ear? Remember what Jesus said? He who lives by the sword dies by the sword. And Jesus wasn't talking about carrying, right? He wasn't saying, Peter, you shouldn't carry a sword. Swords were political. What does the scripture say about authority? They don't yield the sword in vain. What Jesus was telling Pilate is, my kingdom has never been, never will be political or about power, but it'll always be about truth. It's very important in the time we live. Week after week, I keep telling you guys, the scripture speaks to every situation we're in. The gospel has never been, never will be, and it will never succeed if it ever turns political. Tim Keller did an amazing job years ago. I was at a forum where he talked about, and he had justification with statistic, Christianity is rising in every continent in the world. South America, North America, we're about even. China, Africa, wherever you go, Christianity's on the rise except in one place, Europe. And it's fascinating because that was the place we called Christendom. That was the place where there's great cathedrals, which are just tourist destinations today. Is it ironic that those places were the places where there was hierarchy and state-run churches and structure where the queen was also the head of the church, where taxes went to ministers? Jesus said his kingdom would never be like this. It would never be political. Jesus said there would never be a Christian nation. There's no such thing. We are a holy priesthood. We are a holy temple. We are from every tribe, kindred, and tongue. Jesus answered Pilate this way because Pilate had no interest in spiritual things. You know, I, I got to believe if I'm Pilate, I'm like, 
wow, you're Jesus of Nazareth. I've been wanting to make an appointment with you. I heard you rose somebody from the dead. You're opening blind eyes. You fed 5,000. I've heard all these reports, and oh, by the way, my wife had a dream last night. And she said, I shouldn't have anything to do with, listen, this just man. Isn't it cool how God kind of sprinkles through the whole trial Jesus' innocence because he was the spotless lamb? Pilate, this Roman Gentile, could have said, you know, I've run into a lot of God-fears. These were people in the Greco-Roman world who were interested in the things of the Jews. Like every human being, he had a void. But you see, his void was filled with power. That's politics, by the way. Politics have filled his void, his purpose in life. Pilate, who's like everybody on this lawn with questions like, where did I come from? Where am I going? Basically asked a political question and had no interest in a spiritual condition. And Jesus doesn't do what a lot of us do. He doesn't argue him into the kingdom. He doesn't give him a theological discourse. He doesn't preach the Sermon on the Mount. He says, my kingdom's not of this world. Pilate goes on in the, in the next few verses to say, don't you know I have the power to crucify you or the power to release you? See, that's political, guys. The power. That's what fills the void, power. That's what filled it for Pilate, power. I've got the power. What did Jesus say? You only have power because this is the plan. This is the plan, dude. It's the only reason you got power. You've got no power. But I've got the power to crucify you. I've got the power to release you. And Jesus there, silent most of the time, answering Pilate some of the time, begins to reveal why he had come. When the Passion of the Christ came out, I was so excited. I had been to a pastor's pre-screening months before. I knew it was going to be a hit, even though the pundits were saying it would tank. I was so proud that day. I went, that, you know, I think it was nine in the morning at a theater. And I think I went four times to the theater. I was so proud to sit in theaters where a Christian movie was sold out, and the first thing you saw on the screen was Isaiah 53. It's one of the highlights of my Christian experience. But I remember the naysayers saying, well, we shouldn't go see it because, first of all, it's not about the life of Christ. Yeah, I know it's not about the life of Christ. It's called the passion of the Christ. It's about the, the final week of Jesus' life. Come on, get it. And then people were saying, no, it's Catholic because they're going to emphasize Jesus' suffering. I've always said there's things evangelicals can learn from Catholics. There's things Catholics can learn from evangelicals. So there's something evangelicals can learn tonight from Catholics. The suffering of Jesus mattered. Now, I know because of a lot of us live there and we've heard that all our life, we want to jump to substitutionary atonement because we never heard about that. And we want to jump to the resurrection because we, we understand that's where salvation came from. But why does the Apostles' Creed say he suffered and was crucified under Pontius Pilate. Because Jesus was fulfilling what was written in Isaiah 53, where God said, my servant will prosper. 
And surely he has borne, listen, our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted, pierced for our transgressions. That could only be the cross. Had the Jews killed him, he would have been stoned. He had to be crucified. And our chastisement was upon him, and by his wounds were healed. The trial's laid out like this because the Jews were guilty. And now in a court of Rome, Gentiles are guilty. That's the book of Romans. The book of Romans says because of the heavens, because of the nature we're in right now, man is without excuse. God's invisible attributes can be seen by everything that was made. Man is without excuse. But then chapter 2 comes, and the Jews are without excuse. Because they had the oracles, the covenants, the books of the Bible, the preachers and fathers. And then finally, Romans 3, we like sheep have all gone astray. The entire human race is guilty. Instead of Jesus being on trial, it's actually Pilate and the human race that's on trial. And Jesus' suffering mattered because he suffered for you and he suffered for me. He bore our griefs, carried our sorrows. We're hearing so much about suffering today, so much about pain. And when people ask, where's God in a coronavirus world? Where's God in a world of racial tension? Where's God in the midst of suffering? The simple answer is God suffered. On the way to the cross where he would buy our redemption, he suffered. This is why Paul said, I glory in the cross. This is why he said in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him who, who, who knew no sin to be sin that we might become the righteousness of God. The spotless, sinless substitute that died for us suffered under Pontius Pilate. Oh, by the way, that makes it historical. By the way, this isn't a book of fables. Peter said, when we made known to you the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we didn't give you cunningly devised fables. We were eyewitnesses of his glory. Listen, because of Pilate, we know where Jesus died. We know where he was buried. He put four squads of soldiers at a tomb. He let Joseph of Arimathea bury him in his tomb, which means you could go to Arimathea, ask where Joseph lives, and ask where his tomb was. Oh, but Pastor Bob, you don't understand. The scriptures were written way too late, and they were able to make up stories. No, they were written way too early. Way too early. They were written in the lifetime where these people were still alive who could have investigated and corroborated the story. And Pilate's here because it's historical. And oh, by the way, you know what the argument was till 1961? I love this one. It's easy. Pilate never existed. He never existed. And the skeptics were hanging on that because he was inconsequential in history, never went on to do anything. Many people think he committed suicide. Until one day, the archaeologist spade, as it always does, in Caesarea by the sea, dug up a stella with his name engraved, which is in the Hebrew Museum today. 
historical. It also tells us Jesus was human. By sin, sin came through one man, Adam, and redemption had to come through another man, Jesus. All through the scriptures, we see Jesus thirst. He slept. He suffered. He's our great high priest. And then finally, he suffered spiritually on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Anybody ever thought that, said that? Oh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus stood in a trial that none of us will ever face. We may face trial here. It may be unjust here. But in the only trial that matters, before the only authority that matters, before the only judge who has the correct records and the right to judge, you and I will never stand. Because Jesus stood in our place. Pilate woke up and made a terrible decision one day. By the way, guys, always listen to your wives. They're always right. Have nothing to do with this man. But you might say he made a great decision. You might say he made a great decision because if he didn't make that decision, Jesus would have never gone to the cross. And that's not true. Because the book of Acts tells us that Jesus was crucified by the predeterminate counsel and foreknowledge of God, but, it also, but also in the preaching of Peter and others, man was held responsible, and those two things can hang in the balance. Pilate made a bad decision. Jesus said the man who delivered to you made a worse decision, Caiaphas, because he had the scriptures. He had knowledge. And I've said this a hundred times, and I'll keep saying it because I don't know how many people listen. One of the excuses people say is, what about the people that never heard? To which I always say, what about the people that have heard? And oh, by the way, now you've heard. What about the people that have heard and are so indifferent? So indifferent. Because they're all caught up in power and they're all caught up in culture and they're all caught up in comfort. Pilate made a terrible decision because he made a political decision. You know what a political decision is? You don't go with your gut. You see what the temperature of the crowd is. You see, in his gut, he knew Jesus was innocent. So he comes up with a scheme. Oh, at Passover, we release a criminal. So here's Barabbas, this wretched man, and here's Jesus. And by the way, you know, I know we live in a democratic society, but we're a republic. We just vote Democrat. But, but can I tell you about voting? Who, who did the people vote for? Come on, guys. Who did they vote for? Barabbas. That was a pretty bad decision, right? Puts his finger in the air. What do the people think? And he goes with it. And so many people today are doing the same thing. They're running with the crowd. They're listening to voices. They're, you know, they hear one little argument about, oh, the Bible was written by men way after. And the, and, and the most important thing in life, they're in totally indifferent to. Pilate made a terrible decision. His decision was horrible, one of the worst in history, because he didn't choose Christ. 
Neither did the crowd, neither did the Sanhedrin, neither than almost anybody in Jerusalem. The good news is millions have made the right decision. And by the way, I've made some bad decisions, and so have you. But every bad decision is wiped out by the only good decision I've ever made. The day on a college campus where I said yes to Jesus Christ. My whole life could have fallen apart from then, but at least I made one decision. I can't even take credit for it because God drew me. Just like all of us, it was by his grace and his mercy and love. The beautiful thing about the gospel message, and if I could write one book, I'd write this book. And I would write it to our culture that our message is a glorious message if people would ever listen to it. Listen, Jesus was neither liberal nor conservative. Do you know that? He was both liberal and conservative. He wasn't even in the middle. He was liberal in that he ate with sinners and tax collectors and people that didn't look like him. He was liberal in so many ways. He was conservative in the way he lived and in his values. And guess what the early church did? The early church lived these values out. First of all, he was risen from the dead. That sparked a revival. But you know what the message was? Remember they were to teach people the message? The message of the early church is we can share and we can love, but not like hippie style. Because for the first time there were values. Family mattered. Women mattered. Early Christians were the first to kind of rail against abortion and infanticide, which mostly was for little baby girls that were born in the empire. And slowly but surely, the way Christians lived, and it was underground, it wasn't dominant, people began to look. And here's the great lie. People say Christianity rose up because man was looking for something new. That's baloney. It rose up because there was something tangible and real. The sexuality they preached was wholesome and real, and so was family, and so was everything else. And by the time Constantine comes along, the deal had already been done. He just politicized it. He was just betting on a horse that was already out of the gate, and people were Mike, oh, there we go. We have the greatest message, guys. We have a kingdom of truth. Jesus said, everybody that hears my voice is of the truth. Pilate said, what is truth? Has anybody said that since March? How many times since March have you said, I wonder if this is true? Still don't know what's true. What is truth? Truth is right here. This is true. This is about the only thing that's true. They used to tell us science was true, and now that's not even true. Everyone who hears my voice is of the truth. The truth is God loves us. God came and took our place, suffered, was tried unjustly, experienced everything every human being could possibly suffer, came out on the other side, 
and said, my kingdom won't be political. The power will reside in the spirit and the word that goes forth from my followers. And it's the only movement that for 2,000 years have changed more lives and changed more of society than any political system that has come and gone or will ever come. The kingdom of God is love, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you that the freedom we have to worship on this lawn came from this trial 2,000 years ago. God, we thank you that you raise up kings, you bring them low. We thank you, Jesus, that your power was not held but released. You didn't hold on to power, you let it go. And Lord, may we be like that. God, you are so good. Thank you for the day where truth came to my eyes, to my ears. I pray for everybody on this lawn that they might know truth. Truth that you are God and there is none other. There's only one name under heaven by which a man can be saved. It's the holy name of Jesus. Born of the Virgin Mary, crucified under Pontius Pilate rose on the third day. Everybody stand. Sing one last song. If you don't know Jesus Christ, if you have no idea, because I had no idea what that means, we have pastors that would love to pray with you, talk to you. If you've never been baptized, even if you're not prepared, but you're thinking, I know Christ, But gosh, no, I've never been baptized. I've never stepped into the waters in front of people. Maybe you were baptized as an infant. What that means is you had no idea what you were doing. I'm not going to say it doesn't count. I'm just going to say, wouldn't you rather do it now? Here's the good news. Three things. A, you have a pastor who had COVID-19, so you can't get it from me. Unless you believe bad science, which has been politicized. Uh, Number two, the CDC says... um, It's not transferable in water. And the third thing is, I'm willing to get in with my jeans on. If you don't get baptized, hey, the kiosk, call us, let us know. We already have a couple people. We'd love to hear your testimony. Let's sing. If anybody comes down, I'll be waiting for you.